0: Welcome to The Interview. I'm Andrew Damlin. We are live at the Paramount Fine Food Center with an NBA champion and proud Norcross Blue Devil. We're with Jody Meeks. Jody, how are you?
1: I'm doing well. Thanks for having
0: me. Thanks for doing this. And I want to travel back in time with you just a little bit. Before the NBA, before college, you are born in Nashville, in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm not sure how much time you spent there before you moved over to the Georgia area, actually, but whether it was in Nashville or in Georgia, that's Kevon Harris, another Georgian, uh, <laughs> looks over from a few feet away. To you, um, what's your first vivid basketball memory growing up?
1: Whew, that takes me way back. Um, like you said, I was born in Nashville, Tennessee. I was there for my first three years, uh, so I don't know, a, remember a whole lot about that. Uh, just you know, visions here and there, house I was in and stuff like that. But for the most part of my life, I was in Atlanta. Um, Grew up in Norcross, Georgia, and um, my first vivid memory was just playing in the garage with my dad on a Fisher-Price goal. (laughs) That's kind of how I learned how to play, and that's where the dream started. You know, acting like you were Michael Jordan, visualizing Duncan from the free throw line. And, you know, back then it was videos. There was no streaming or anything like that, so... Uh, Just remembering that and uh, wearing the wristband, which I still wear on my arm now because of him. So uh, it takes me back to those, you know, like you said, vivid memories of early on with basketball.
0: Now, you grew up a Bulls fan, but that's not quite your game for many of the major 90s Bulls. There's, you know, (laughs) Pippen Jordan. The the person I think of and and I wonder what your thoughts are, are actually Joe Dumars,
1: yeah, he was a great Hall of Famer, right? Um, Hall of Famer for one. It's well, like the set shot. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So the reason I grew up a Bulls fan, one, Michael Jordan, right? Um, that was everybody's favorite player back then. But my dad is from Chicago. Um, so Chicago is, is, is in my blood. You know, he was born and raised there. So naturally as a kid and as our family, and the Bulls were good back then too. You just grow up a Bulls fan and loving basketball. They were the team. You know, so Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Horace Grant, B.J. Armstrong, until the second P, you know, Luke Longley, Dennis Rodman, those guys. So, just growing up in a household where we watched pretty much every game, uh, I was on WGN, I'll never forget, mm. and it was just good family memories. But, like you said, Joe Dumars was a great replica um, of my game now, just a score, uh, kind of quiet, styling assassin type of person, so... I can definitely see that.
0: He's got that set shot. He's also, you know, people think of him as a shooter like you, but he scores in a variety of ways like you do as well. Now, you know, even with that in mind, you know, growing up, I remember as a kid myself, there were guys on other teams, they were annoying to guard. And what I mean is if you gave them a little bit of daylight and the shot went up, you're like, man, I didn't get a good enough contest. I know what's going Mm -hmm. in. Do you remember a point in your childhood where you became annoying to guard?
1: Well, my whole life I was pretty much a scorer. Um, so early on, my dad coached me up until, uh, up until high school. So him and my AAU coach really put that uh, scoring mentality inside of me to just say, hey, just be relentless. You know, Don't give up no matter if you're having a good game or a bad game. Don't ever stop attacking. And um, I would say probably middle school – It's where, you know, people really started to notice that, hey, this kid could be something special and maybe one day be something. Um, I remember my dad telling me when I was, you know, really young, you know, it's hard to make it, obviously. It's hard to make it to college. It's hard to make it to the NBA. So, you know, stay healthy. Enjoy your childhood. You know, don't ever forget that. But I would say middle school is where people started to see that, hey, this kid could be something. And like you said, annoying and (laughs) offensive.
0: That's a small thing you mentioned, um, enjoying your childhood. Uh, in this age where you got to specialize in one sport, you got to play AAU four or five games a weekend, you get the picture that the childhood is kind of, uh, kind of lost. And when did you sort of internalize that message in, in enjoying your childhood? How did that help you become a better basketball player?
1: Yeah, well, you know, I think my parents did a really good job of allowing me to just be a kid. Um, I played multiple sports growing up. I didn't focus on one thing until I was 15. So growing up, I played football, baseball, uh, I ran track, obviously basketball. So I tried a a lot of different things. So that way, when that season came, I was always fresh mentally and physically to to go ahead and do it. But um, I didn't have, I had a normal childhood, so to speak, as far as being humble and modest and all that. But I didn't have a normal childhood as far as recognition, you know, from the time I was, 10 years old. My name was in the the Atlanta Journal Constitution, which is the newspaper in Atlanta. So uh, it wasn't like a kid in the fourth grade just going to school and all that. I was getting checked out early, going to tournaments, baseball, basketball. So uh, it was definitely fun, but it was it wasn't, you know, quote unquote, normal um, childhood. But it was fun. Looking back, I don't have any regrets.
0: Yeah, you head over to Norcross for your for your high school career. You you helped win the team's first state title, I think, in their school's history. First player ever to get retired. Um, they have their jersey retired as well. And I was just trying to I was trying to find the stats from your playoff state championship season. I think in the final, you scored 32 points to win the state title. Before the game, I mean, at this point, the game is pretty serious for you. You're you're over. You're heading over to Kentucky. You got NBA aspirations, but can you at all recall? sort of the childhood innocence more so heading into a championship game in high school, the mentality you had for maybe perhaps your first like really high-pressure game, and you you really showed out in that moment.
1: Well, you know, I just remember the year before that, uh, my junior year at Norcross, we were undefeated the entire season, um, and we lost in the state championship game. So that was a real tough blow uh, just for our whole community, school. You know, we felt like we were winning, and we didn't show up and play our best that particular night. So going into my senior year, uh, myself and another senior's name is Brenton Butler, he went on to play at Furman – um, it's in New York. Uh, I'll think of it in a second. Went on to play, and we just came together and just said, hey, you know, we're not losing. You know, we're going to come together and win. So going into that game, we had all the confidence in the world uh, that we could win, and we did that. And I didn't care if I had to score 50 points or 10 points and 20 assists. I just wanted to win and the innocence kind of, of basketball at that age is is pure you know you, it's no regrets there's no selfishness there's just team camaraderie you know you want to win it for your school your teammates your coaches so I definitely miss those days sometimes when I think back
0: yeah there, you got plenty to wax nostalgic about uh, in your career yeah, as you and you still want to go ahead and, uh, and obviously return to the NBA as well have your sights set on the current the current setting but Still sticking with the nostalgia a little bit. You head off yeah. to Kentucky in 2006, coached by Tubby Smith in 2006-7, and then Billy Gillespie for the rest of your uh, college career. There's only one game I wanted to point out and talk about, not just for how amazing it was that you had at Kentucky, but I feel like it's sort of a microcosm of, of who you are. And it's the game against Tennessee. Your career high, 54 points. So every, watching, so everybody
1: remembers that game, right? <laughs> right. So I
0: don't try, and I want to go, I want to go after it, go at it from a different angle, perhaps than you've heard. Okay, so first of all, I'm watching the buckets that you're putting up in the first half. And, like, your first few shots, they're like heat check shots already. They're not, they're not like – you haven't gotten into a flow yet, but you're already putting up heat check shots. Is, is Billy Gillespie before the game telling you, like, okay, just shoot whatever shot you like? Or is this a decision you're, you're making on your own?
1: Well, I was a scorer in college, and I still am, but um... – You know, obviously in college you have more of a green light and the opportunity is is more there as far as a minute. So uh, that particular year I was just – I just felt just locked in for whatever particular reason. Uh, So I really – the coach gave me freedom, but I I really, you know, just took the opportunity as well because, you know, I was the main scorer as a guard and uh, just being out there just felt right, you know, especially that particular night. And my first shot, my dad always jokes with me about this. My first three I took hit the side of the backboard, and I missed. And so I was like, oh, man, this might be a <laughs> might be one of those nights that I, I want to forget. But took another one, made it, took the third one, made it. So then I was locked in. And so from that point on, after that third shot that I made, it was just kind of everything was in slow motion. And uh, those games you wish you could have every night. Um, and so I feel like being in the zone, quote, unquote, a lot of times last a few minutes or a half, but that particular night was the entire game. And I've only had a few times where that's happened, but man, you wish you could have those every night.
0: Yeah, that's the thing with the shooters, being in that zone. I've asked, I've asked guys, uh, shooters, I've asked like, Nick Stauskas, and I talked to Matt Morgan, who was also a sharp shooter for the 905. And Nick Stauskas also went to Michigan with Duncan Robinson. He didn't go with him, I should say, but Duncan Robinson came after him. And we talk about the shooter's mentality, this trying to stay even about things. Duncan Robinson talks about he's never someone who takes extra shots after a bad game because he's had a bad game. He's like, if the work I put in before is enough uh, for a great game, then it's enough for a bad game as well. Is there a particular shooter's mentality you've had to keep with you in order to avoid those highs and lows of the, the streaky nature of being an outside shooter?
1: Uh, I, think, I think shooting is... is... It's a lot of, of mental, mental focus, mental toughness. Uh, so I've done both. I've shot after a bad game, uh, but I've also gone home and just kind of just forget about it. You know, I think when I was younger, a lot of times I would think too much on, man, I didn't shoot the ball well tonight or I got to get better. But as I as I got it older and more mature uh, through the years, once I leave the rock- locker room, that's it. You know, I just, you know, see my family, talk to my family, go get something to eat. Uh, Get a good night's rest start over the next day. So I might come into practice a couple hours early to get more work in after a bad night but I try not to uh, live and die by every shot or every game because It's impossible to have a good game every every night and that's just how it is on any level, but especially on the pro level. So um, I've tried to just stay consistent with my work and if I'm having a stretch where I'm not shooting the ball Well, just trust it like you said Duncan Robinson said and stay keep your confidence.
0: There's, so there's the mental aspect with shooting, and there's another mental aspect that you've had to deal with throughout your career, and that's injuries. J.J. Redick talks about it on his podcast. He says the hardest mental hurdle about being a pro athlete is getting back from an injury. You've yeah. dealt with back stuff, with foot stuff, metatarsal injuries throughout your career. And you said in an interview recently, you know, you hadn't played since 2019 since winning the title with Toronto. You said you had to, get, uh, you had to heal over The last three years, how much of that healing process was physical and how much was mental?
1: Well, I was just about to say some of it was mental, too. Uh, just getting over the hurdle of uh, I, it was like a three year stretch where I was injured for three straight years uh, two foot surgeries, the back, no surgery, but it was I was out for an extended amount of time. Um, but my mind is pretty strong, so I don't ever second-guess myself when I'm out there. But during the rehab process, that's the tough part of just hopping back on that horse and just say, hey, I'm just going to live and die by my work. And if the wheels fall off, the wheels just fall off. You know, you really can't, don't have control over that. But these past few years have been good for me um, to just really sit back, do some soul-searching, knowing I can still play the game. I uh, just wasn't given an opportunity to play, along with COVID, obviously. It's been tough. But... In my mind, I knew I can always help a team out, still know I can, and uh, just trying to have fun with it. You know, it's good to be back playing, and uh, I'm the elder statesman nowadays, so (laughs) it's good to be uh, mentoring younger guys, telling them and giving them my knowledge of what it took to be successful for a decade, Um, and trying to help them as, as much as possible.
0: Yeah, and you've had some vets in your career we, we know about Kobe Bryant and how much he helped you along maybe that shooter's mentality you also mentioned Audrey Iguodala and Elton Brand as um, mentors that you had in Philly and I'm just wondering from the outs from the very outside looking in Audrey Iguodala seems like an incredibly intimidating person to be nah, around. no nah, no nah, not at oh, all. all
1: he's he's a good really good dude it's like my brother man he uh older brother and uh, he took me under his wing from right away I got traded my rookie year and uh he might look intimidating, but he's not he's not. He's a good dude and uh, always professional, silly like myself, and uh, just trying to you know get his work in, be professional and uh, you know just have a good time. We play golf all the time too.
0: <laughs> nice. Yeah, so you start with Milwaukee just for half of a season. you're under Scott Skiles, and then you go over to Doug Collins in Philly, and you play I think 19 games in your first season with Philly. And uh, you didn't have much of a role, if I remember correct, if, I'm, if my research is correct. But the next year, you're a starter for their yep. team. Do you recall the conversation, perhaps it was with Doug Collins or maybe with the front office, about, hey, you're going to be a starter in the NBA?
1: Man, I still get chills thinking about that. Uh, so I got traded. I'll back up a little bit. I, I got traded my rookie year from Milwaukee to Philly. Uh, Eddie Jordan was a coach at the time, and it was like, I want to say, 20 games left in the season something like that right after all-star break and uh you know i wasn't playing like the first nine of those games and like the last 10 games 11 games something like that i played so i knew that was kind of like my audition into the next season because there was rumors about him you know getting let go as a coach because we weren't record-wise we weren't any good right so played pretty well in those games i shot pretty well um and coming into my second year I was still inactive for like the first five games. Right. So in my mind, I'm like, man, like if I don't get it going or get the chance, I might be overseas. Because <laughs> back then you only got two years as a second round pick. And then after that, it was it. Right. So coming into, I want to say like this 20th game of the season, uh, Andre had tweaked his ankle. So he was out probably two weeks. And so he was like, hey, you're going to be playing some minutes tonight, you know, make the most of them. Uh, And then Doug came to me and was like, you're going to be playing some minutes. So I appreciated that heads up already. And so I came off the bench, had like eight points, uh, ten points. Uh, So the third game I had like seven points, something like that. But they weren't expecting that from me, right, because I had been an actor. So they didn't really know exactly what I could do besides practice. And so my first start came in Atlanta. That's where I'm from. And it was in front of like my family, friends. And I had like, man, this is crazy. But stay focused because – if you don't look in, if you don't do what you're supposed to do, you're <laughs> going back to the bench. So in my mind, I never wanted to go back to that. So I always stayed focused no matter if I had two shots, ten shots, five shots. I always stay focused on that, and it led me to start for three years there. So long story, but that's how that's my mindset.
0: That's a great story, man. And so, and I want to fast forward through your career, but we do have a limited time, and I appreciate your time. So I wanna, want to go through – so you have a great career with Philly. Three seasons. You spent I think three seasons or two seasons with the, the Lakers. Um, and you're, you're under Kobe Bryant. You have a 42. You you know that number 42, 44. Which 42? 42 get Never forget those numbers. <laughs> 42 against OKC. You got your career high. And, and honestly, as Raptors fans, we, we remember you most for your season with Washington. Oh, actually, yeah, as, yeah, a, yeah, as a yeah, yeah. as a kill, as a Raptor killer <laughs> as well. Um, and then you win the title with with the Raptors in '19. You've twins uh, between, twin girls. Twin girls between uh, between the 2019 and your and your return, which is another amazing. amazing. I got two kids too, so it's just fun. Um, the perspective that uh, that that kids. It's a blessing. Uh, it's
1: a blessing, but it's hard work. Oh, uh, no <laughs>
0: doubt. Uh, absolutely no <laughs> doubt. Like I'm thankful they're at daycare today. Yeah, let, me, yeah. let me let me tell you that for sure. <laughs> um, so after three years, you come. You're making your return. You're making your comeback. Your, your body and your mind have, have, have healed. You're coming back with the Raptors 905. And you're with a coach, Patrick Mutombo, that a lot of players have told me they think of him less of a, as a basketball coach and more of a, a life coach. Yeah. Does that ring true? How does that ring to you when you hear that?
1: Definitely. Uh, more like a brother to me because I'm closer in age, right? <laughs> 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 no, nah, but he, he's, a great, he's a great person, not just a great coach uh he definitely cares right so we always have circle up before practice and he's asking guys about you know what's going on in the world not just basketball or how are you doing today uh, how's your body feeling you know that's not always the case with some coaches right so all they care about is basketball so he definitely cares about you as a person and you developing uh so definitely appreciate him definitely appreciate him giving me an opportunity to play basketball again and, you know, you're coming into a rhythm. You recently
0: had a 31-point game. Uh, that was – when was that? The 17th against the Wisconsin Herd. And there was one play I wanted you to ask I wanted to ask you about as well. It was in the third quarter, I think. You drove the lane, and it looked like you were going up to dunk it. You got fouled. Were you about <laughs> to go up to dunk that?
1: I don't even remember how high I was, but <laughs> <laughs> I would have tried. But I got fouled, so he might have bailed me off from getting hung. <laughs> but I can still dunk, so – Maybe I'll show it uh, on a fast break or something if my legs feel good that particular night. So
0: so you got 31. did that. Was that a moment for you, that game? Was that a moment like, wait, I, I actually am primed to get back to this. I can get back into the NBA. Was that a moment you needed?
1: No, not necessarily. Um, I've always been confident. Um, you know, my role in this team is more so just coming in like a utility man, uh, filling the gaps, knocking down shots, spacing the floor. Uh, And then when I do get my opportunities to play extended amount of minutes, I can still put up some numbers. So uh, but, you know, we have a lot of young guys trying to develop. So I understand my role. But when coach when coach feels like giving me extended minutes, hey, I'm going to take them. So I'm going to take them and take advantage of them and uh, show what I can do.
0: You do an amazing job with this team. Uh, everyone said that your leadership uh, has been exemplary, and also the results on the court are showing themselves too. So, listen, Jody, we really appreciate the extended interview uh, you gave us, and we wish you the best of luck with the Raptors nine hundred five, and with your upcoming return to the NBA.
1: I really appreciate it. So, the school—I was going to say that the school I was talking about was Fordham. My my old teammate, Brenton Butler, is in the Bronx, so I didn't want him to hear this and. <laughs> I think I <laughs> forgot about it. <laughs>
0: For sure. All right, Jody, we we really appreciate the time. Thank you. Thank you, man.